Welcome to No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shannon, Mr. Rob, Zane, and today we're joined by Yimmy Amu, founder of Oko Farms. Welcome, Yimmy. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I was telling you behind the scenes that we have been trying to track you down for <laughs> some time. You know, this is something that we're all very interested in. Um, I want to start off by just asking you if you could talk a little bit about how Oko Farms came to be mm-hmm. and a little bit about what the mission of the farm is. Okay. Um, so Oko Farms is an aquaponics farm in Brooklyn, New York. Aquaponics means we raise freshwater fish and vegetables in the same water, in a recirculating, we call it a recirculating ecosystem. Um, and the farm kind of came about um, a couple of different ways. The, the, the journey started with me. I used to be a culinary educator and a nutrition educator, and then also a chef. Like I had, I was working with formerly homeless um, adults, formerly homeless and mentally ill. Um, I was preparing um, one meal a day, five days a week for the residents of the building. Um, and then I was also engaging them in different activities around food. So cooking together, going food shopping together, learning to read food labels in the supermarket, even things like learning to use your EBT um, or um, the SNAP benefits at the farmer's markets. Because there are a lot of farmer's markets, especially in New York, almost all of them at this point that accept the SNAP benefits. How do you navigate them? How do you know which ones to go to? We would buy produce, we would take them back and cook. So that was a lot of what I I was doing. And then I started farming because I felt like, I know I wanted to close that loop just a little bit more. Um, The residents were getting access to the produce because the organization was paying for it. On their own, they couldn't afford it. So how do we close that loop further? How do we make fresh food more accessible. Um, I was in grad school at the time and one of the things, what I was studying was uh, behavior change. You know, how do you get people to adopt healthy lifestyles or healthy dietary habits specifically? And um, accessibility is huge. If you cannot afford it, if it's not around you, it doesn't matter how much you know you should eat it, it doesn't matter how much um, information you have about its nutrients or its health benefits for you. If you can't actually get it, it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, so the desire to farm actually came out of wanting to empower my my um, clients with the ability to grow food for themselves. So I would um, learn how to farm so that I could teach them how to farm. That was like the initial thing. And at the time, it was soil farming. Um, the organization that, that I worked with was actually supportive in helping us um, to convert the roof into a green roof. So we were growing food on the roof um, and there was a, just a lot of beautiful engagements once the farm went up, honestly. Um, there were some residents who were eating like all of their vegetables um, from the roof. There were some residents that were like really interested in the growing aspect of it. And not just residents, but also the surrounding community. Um, that were now, you know, before that building used to be like, oh no, you know, crazy people live there, you know? Now they like would come there and like make friends with the residents and see, hey, they're human beings and learn gardening, you know, farming from them. Um, so it was while I was working there that I was introduced to aquaponics and um, 
I just thought it was really fascinating, you know? This idea of being able to raise fish in an urban environment and also save water in the process. Right. You're essentially raising fish and using the water from the fish waste to also grow vegetables. It's like, how could you go wrong with, with something like that? Nice. Um, so the journey with aquaponics started. I um, went to Florida for a while. I worked with the person who introduced me to aquaponics. Um, we kind of spent a year just looking around New York to see where we would even get access to land. As you know, land is not easy to come about in New York City. Everything goes to developers. Yep. Uh, but there's a lot of empty lots in the city. You know, there are almost 600 acres of vacant lots in the city. And we... Wow. Yeah. Great. It's a lot of Think about it, you know. Um, and the Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation helped us to get access to this. You know, it's a small lot, 2,500 square feet. Right. But, you know, we, we were like this, a, a lot small next to a liquor store and a fried chicken spot. Um, it was just like liquor store, fried chicken spot, and a smoke shop. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> right there. It's <laughs> uh, amazing, man. Yeah, with no water access. And to me, it was like the most beautiful place you could put a farm. Right. You know, because right. people think about farms being in these like beautiful, surreal Rural areas. Yeah. You know, it's the spot where you need it the most. You know where people need to be engaged with nature the most where people need to have access to fresh food the most you know yeah. i'm walking out the gate and someone is like is that from Kalaloo? give me some you know and i'm glad you said that because that's one of the things i tell my wife she's a chef as well and she's changed my diet in 2010 i lost a kidney and in that downtime of just recovering I was able to come across aquaponics. And I was like, what is this? Like, fish? But I said to myself, hold on, that's a decent meal. Some fish and vegetables? That was my diet. I was like, I'm fixed. I, I'm, I'm fixed. But I'm, explain, explain to my listeners about, I know a little bit about it, but explain to my listeners, what is aquaponics? Okay. So I, I like to call it an ecosystem. Um, it is a process whereby you are raising fish and vegetables or plants. They don't have to be vegetables. Right. Plants together. Um, and it's a symbiotic ecosystem. So the fish exists and most people who keep, keep fish know that water gets quote unquote dirty and you throw it out. Right. Well, that dirty water that you're throwing out is full of nutrients. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like being a chicken farmer and like you're dumping all that chicken uh, poop or convert it into manure and use it to grow vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, in aquaponics, all of this is happening in the water. That fish waste water, instead of throwing it out, you actually give it to plants. And what the plants do is take up the nutrients and then the water is clean for the fish. So you are constantly recycling that fish waste water. Um, you never have to throw it out. You're using the same body of water over and over again. You may need to top it off every now and then, because plants are taking up water and you need to do some through evaporation, but you're constantly, you're literally recycling waste to grow food in water, in aquaponics. And it is a very natural system. It is something that is actually really old. Um, I, I, I like to think of it as like one of these ancient, like integrated aqua, uh, agriculture methods where people brought the land and water 
you know, the Egyptians did it, the ancient Mayans did it, the Aztecs did it, the Chinese did it in really complex forms. Right. Um, and I know there's areas in Brazil that that live that way, especially during in the Amazon. That's how they get them big flourish plants and the leaves because they're right in the water. Right by the water, yeah. And it's helpful especially beneficial for places that have limited access to water. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because you're using less water. On your farm, how many different styles? I know there's NFT, yeah. RAF, mm-hmm. and also GrowBiz, right? Yeah. So you have what's called the RAF or deep water culture, deep water bed, where that's kind of the simplest and easiest to build. We're talking about the plant beds right now, where the plants actually sit. And it could be just, it could be a container. It could be a hole in the ground. uh, Or it could be like a literal, uh, one of those raised beds made with lumber. Um, If it's a raised bed made with lumber or a hole in the ground, you want to line it with pond liner. Um, You fill it with water and then you put like uh, something that floats on top so that your plants are floating Mm-hmm. Something that will hold your plant up and floating in the water. Most people use the styrofoam sheet. Um, and there are other people who get really creative because they want to stay away from the styrofoam sheet. But the idea is that your plant is just floating on top. The roots are in the water, getting all the benefits of that water. And then the rest of the plant is on top. Right. Um, so you find that with like, you know, bigger, more commercial sites. And then you have what's the media bed, which is my favorite. Same thing as the deep water, except now you have either clay pebbles, they make these uh, expanded clay pebbles, or gravel, or sand. Um, In the Middle East and in parts of North Africa, they actually use sand. Um, And you use that as your quote-unquote soil substitute. So, you like that feeling of like growing in soil? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you have that media in there um, and you can plant your seeds directly, your plants are growing in it, and that's like acting as a soil substitute. But the water is still what, you know, is, is providing the nutrients for your fish. On, on the root, right? Um, yeah, on the root. Right. And then NFT is like, it's called nutrient film technique. It's just a fancy term for these narrow pipes. Sometimes it's PVC, three inch, four inch PVC. You put holes in them that your plants can sit in, and then you just have water running through. How about that? No, man. Zane. You're on mute, Zane. You're on mute, brother. Good. Still no, still no (laughs) for Zane. So let me ask you this while um, Zane works on his audio. Mm -hmm. How, How, um, just with the whole aquaponic approach, how do you how do you offset or how do you deal with the climate change when the winter comes around? What do you know do different? What happens at the farm? Well, it, it depends on where you live and the resources that you have. We um, are seasonal, so we grow spring, summer into late fall, like into December really, and then we shut down okay. because we don't have enough sunlight. Right, right. It's, there's not enough sunlight to support farm growth. Um, if you can afford, you frost in like a frost period too. Or is that yeah, I mean, we don't really get frost in New York like that anymore. Okay. Climate change, okay. you know, it really doesn't get cold anymore. 
Um, but there's just not enough uh, sunlight. You know, we get maybe four hours of sunlight um, yeah. at the most. So on the lot that we're in, um, and you could, you know, add grow lights. You know, if you could like put up, you know, a greenhouse or something and add grow lights, but we don't choose not to do that. We also raised fish that are um, kind of what's the word? Um, native is not the word because they're not actually native, but they can they adjust to the climate so they can survive winter okay. and survive the it's, summer. It's durable, it's durable. <laughs> That's hardy. So we have some channel catfish that are good with surviving the winter, and they will also survive the really hot summer months. Um, what about koi? Koi, yeah. We have some giant koi um, and goldfish. We also have mirror carp. They're actually, koi and goldfish are part of the carp family. The mirror, carp family is like, carp is huge in Asia and in, and in Europe. That's like the fish that they eat there. Um, so we have some of those. We also have bluegill. Right. Um, and these are all guys that survive both the summer and the winter. So we, we select our fish specifically for our climate. If we were in Florida, we would be doing a lot of tilapia, for instance, because they are quick growing, they are hardy, and they do really well in warmer temperatures. But they just can't handle temperatures below 70. They start to yeah. get sick and die. Nice. Nice. That's so how many different styles do you have outside of just growing up? You also you just you plant grows? Do you have grow beds? Because I see you had a show about compost. And what is compost? What is compost? <laughs> so um, compost is pretty much a process, or compost is the result, actually, of taking food waste and um, allowing it to biodegrade. So that means allowing microorganisms, um, worms, all of those natural um, decomposers. Right. You work on it, and right. what you get is, you know, you have some, you started with an orange peel, and what you end with is something that looks like soil. That right. is compost. It is rich in nutrients. Um, again, nature doesn't waste anything. That's right. So it, it, it's just a way of converting uh, plant material, food waste, back into nutrients that you can put in in, in uh, soil through growth. Yeah. So you can look at aquaponics really like creating liquid compost for plants to grow. Right. That fish waste is actually broken down by microbes and turned into nutrients that the plants take up. That's right. Yeah. So. If you're a soil farmer, you know, composting is definitely something that you should be doing. All that waste that's coming from your kitchen, you could have worms, break it down so that you can have, you know, natural fertilizer. That's what that compost is. Yes. Natural, organic fertilizer for your plants. And you do and you do both, correct? You do aquaponics and So we do we do mostly aquaponics. We do okay. have some soil plants that we grow, oftentimes so that people can see the difference between how something is growing in aquaponics versus soil. Right. Exactly. education. Uh, does it grow better in soil? Does it grow better in aquaponics? Does it taste better in soil? Right. Does it, or aquaponics, does it have more diseases in soil or does it have more in aquaponics? It's just a good way for us to um, compare. 
Like, yeah, and because we do have plant, you know, material at the end of the season, whether it's roots or stems, all of that stuff that we can't eat or do anything with, instead of throwing it out, we actually compost it. We put it in our compost bin, right? Break it down, and then when it's fully broken down, we mix it into our soil containers. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Zane, you, you got your mic working, Zane? Yes. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah. Hello, Yemi. Uh, can you can you explain the process of the webinar sure. that you have available? So we offer um, three different webinars. Um, the one that we've been doing most consistently now and it's really popular is the six weeks aquaponics course. That takes you um, three hours. Um, one day a week for six weeks where we really break down aquaponics for you. Um, and I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I go in. <laughs> so That's we cover, good. That's you know, good. everything from like the history to its different applications all over the world. Um, you know, we talk about like water use and its role in actually conserving water. We look at parts of the world where it actually has made a difference. Um, in that you in that in those terms and then we go into we focus on fish and different types of fish and how to care for fish and you know where to get fish from and fish food and breeding um we go into like the plant piece as well um a lot of people who take the class don't know enough about growing so we actually cover just a plant is a plant is a plant so you need to understand how plants grow whether they're growing in water or in soil we also take a really deep dive into microbiology um, because microbes play a huge part in aquaponics, right? They're part of that ecosystem. And if you're growing in soil, microbes play a huge part of that. Um, if you want to be healthy and, and strong, microbes play a huge part in that because you have microbes in your body that help you digest food, um, that help make nutrients available to you after you the food you know same thing they're doing in soil same thing they do in aquaponics right. we focus on water we do a deep dive on water so you understand that water um in aquaponics you know where is it coming from what is the chemistry right i don't mean to cut you off but you also do ph testing both in water yes yeah, so, right? yeah. so we talk about yeah how to do water quality tests how to do it when you have instruments like the, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. but what do you do when you don't have all the fancy gadgets, right? <laughs> right, right. For that. Because I work with people who are in, working with very poor communities and won't mm -hmm. have access to that. So how do you test your water quality using your senses? Um, by observing and paying attention. And then we do design as well. Right, yeah, I was going to ask about that too. Yeah, so it's like a full six weeks of that. And then we also have a, just a design course for people who want to do design. And I focus really design on, and a lot of times people do design classes and they teach you like, this is the design you should do. Um, I just try to, try to stay away from that. I try to um, really approach design from the user, you know, budget. What is your budget? Where do you live? Um, what are you physically able to, you know, do? What kind of environment do you live in? Like, those are all the things that we go into. So it's not just, you know, here's what an aquaponic system should look like. It yeah. is, who are you? Where are you? What is your budget? What is your specific environmental conditions? And what kind of design 
would work best for you? And how do you determine that? So we do, we, we focus on design and then we have like a basic intro to aquaponics for people who are like, I just want to know what it is. I don't want to be committed, right. you know, to take it six weeks. I just want a one and a half hour class is going to tell me what aquaponics is. So those are the three that we offer. Yeah. The concept of food insecurity, for some people, they still believe that it only exists in underdeveloped countries. Mm. But it's very real. That is a lie. In, <laughs> in, in a city. Yeah, it's very real in a, in a city. And it I, absolutely is. It is very real in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a New York Times article, if you want to check it out. There are 38 million Americans right now that are food insecure, 14 million of them children. Mm -hmm. Um, In New York City, one in seven people go hungry or skip meals. Um, My entire career in food really has been working with food insecure communities. Um, I used to grow food for a food pantry. Um, So, you know, after I I stopped working at that housing facility, um, most of those guys, most of the residents lived on, on, Snack, you know, yeah. uh, and here I was telling them to eat organic when, you know, most of the time they had to like pay for medication or something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, growing food in, on the roof of the building was a way to help increase food security for them. Mm-hmm. And then I've worked with so many different organizations where it's about increasing food security and growing food. I work for a food pantry, a lot of growing food for the pantry. A lot of the clients there depended on the food pantry for food. That's yeah. not what a food pantry is supposed to be. That's right. It's supposed to be emergency. You know, you go there every once in a while, not like this is where I come every week to get food right. for myself yeah. and my family. So food insecurity is a big deal. It is getting worse now um, because of COVID and the economic disaster that has come from COVID, but it has always been around and it is real. Um, in New York City, like one in, in seven people. And as you know, food insecurity also leads to diabetes and heart disease. All the other stuff. Like, yeah, man. And you know, our, our, especially our people, I'll just say it, we suffer from it all at its highest risk. And to be honest with you, that's exactly how I lost my kidney. Eating street food, eating out, not working out, not putting my best foot forward and just thinking I was living. And before you know it, I had a headache and a headache turned into no kidney that quick. Right, so, right. And you know, it, it couldn't take you yeah, I think a lot of times we there there's like a line between like personal responsibility and societal responsibility, right? Um, we should live in an environment where there are just as many vegetables as there is fast food. Exactly. Right? There right. is fast food everywhere. Right. But you have to work to get vegetables. You have to work, you know, to get access to the thing. You have to leave your neighborhood. You have to spend more money. These things should be more accessible to you. Um, schools should have gardens, you know? Keeping it real. Yeah, you, you should be like, you. what do you go to school? You learn how to grow food in school. There should be gardens in, in school where kids are learning to grow food. You should be able to go to your doctor and, and while you're when you leave the hospital, there's like a garden or a farmer's market right mm-hmm. there where you can purchase healthy foods, right? So there are systematic things in place that makes it difficult exactly. for us right. to learn about the importance of healthy eating and then to even get access to healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think a lot of people struggle with it. I think part of it is the education, you know, with education, I think comes awareness. And then there are also, I think, um, 
you know, it's sad, but I think that people do mismanage sometimes the couple of dollars that they have. You know, we have situations like gentrification where you have neighborhoods where Whole Foods moves in, you know, and at Whole Foods, you may be able to get some healthy, fresh produce, but we may not be able to afford it. You know, so immediately it becomes an issue like, what do you say to the person that's not eating healthy when they got $2 and they go in the, the dollar mill with the dollar menu stuff off of McDonald's? Because you're not going to get anything from Whole Foods for $2 that's going to fill your belly. Exactly. You're yeah, not. Not even close. But you can go to McDonald's and get something that'll fill your belly. I mean, it's really practical. That's why I said it's systematic, yeah. right? Um, I, I say this because where I farm, it's hard to get good food. I'm someone who's educated. I have a master's degree and all of that. And you know what? Sometimes I just get the fried chicken because I'm hungry and mm -hmm. I'm tired and I don't want to have to go out of my way. Sometimes I'm like, damn, I could spend $20 or I could spend five. I'm gonna spend the five, you know? Yeah, These are decisions right. that people are making on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, 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 that's why I say it's a systematic thing mm -hmm. rather than just an individual decision. And even with individuals, when and where do you learn about healthy eating? It usually comes with money, you know? The higher up the social class you go, the more you, you, you everyone around you is eating vegan or whatever the fancy thing is. I think they call it plant-based right now. And everyone's on that, right? So you look at people like education and socioeconomic level, that's where people get to eat healthy. I'm from a society where it's actually flipped. The poor people are eating the, the vegetables because that's what is easily accessible. And then the wealthy people are aspiring to be like Americans, right? So they want the pizza and they want all that stuff because to them, you know, that's like aspirational and vegetables mm -hmm. like for the poor people, you know? Again, it, it's, it's systematic. It's not always the individual's decision. That's right. I, I actually remember a time where yeah, there was there was fruit stands all over the place. You didn't have to go far to get an apple. You know what I mean? And, and that type of thing it doesn't exist anymore. It like, doesn't. People want want to be more inclusive of what America supporting for us to be instead of just being healthy. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what I've learned over the years about myself as an as you know from an anatomy standpoint when it comes to cell life, the cellular structure, your tissue structure, and then you as a being. All of those are proponents of how you think and live. So if you want to think and live clearly, you have to eat. You are what you eat. Right. You have to put these fresh things in your body. So I was going to ask you, how hard or is it able? How, how hard is it? Or um, how is it able to grow? Can we grow fruits in aquaponics versus vegetables? Fruits. Fruits. Um, you can grow fruits very easily in aquaponics. There are lots of people who do it. Okay. Um. We don't just because we don't necessarily have the climate for it to do the tropical things, but things like strawberries, you can do very easily. The only fruits that you don't want to do in aquaponics are fruits that require a really low pH, that this is going into the nerd thing. So soil has pH, everything has its own pH, and some plants do better in like more acidic environment. Um, so blueberries, like, yeah. In aquaponics, you don't want the system to be acidic. You need it to be neutral because your fish um, won't survive an acidic environment. Right. So it's an ecosystem. You have to balance the needs of your fish with the needs of your plants. So right. um, any fruit 
bearing plant that requires like low pH, more on the acidic level, you cannot do. But I've seen people do papaya. Um, oh, yeah. I've seen all kinds of stuff. I mean, we do fruiting plants, so we do things like okra, we do things like peppers, squash, right. you know. We do, we do a lot of those types of fruiting plants, and we also do strawberries. Um, it would be lovely if I could do papaya. <laughs> I want to I I do some pomegranate, man. I wanna, yeah. I wanna <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm thinking maybe we can get like a, a fruit, like a dwarf apple tree or dwarf, you know, cherry right. tree that we could try out. Okay. Um, when we move into our bigger space, when we have more room, that's something I would really love. I love experimenting and seeing what's possible to grow in um, and I've I've seen papaya and bananas, so I know. Um, right. I've seen it too. I've been I've been on this since 2010. I've seen everything. <laughs> pineapples in the backyard. So yeah. How, how do you feel? How do you feel about uh, greenhouse growing? Um, it's a great thing, especially you know to extend your season and to be able to grow in the winter. So yeah. for those of you who don't know, greenhouse growing is is growing in like a. a what do you call it? Kind of like a shelter. <laughs> yeah, it holds heat and sunlight. Like the little bit of sunlight that shows up in the winter, it holds it and it heats up your greenhouse so that you can um, extend your growing season over the winter or start earlier than most people would. Right. Right. Because I know I, I usually probably start in March. March is a good time. But I'm thinking now I want to start in February. Yeah, you could start in January or February. You just you might need to do some um, supplemental lighting. Okay. So some um, plant lights to um, grow lights, sorry they call it, just to right. help you with lights. But yeah, you greenhouses are great. Nice man. So you look like y'all was about to open up a second a second farm in Wheatfield. Yes. So we're really excited about that. Um, we definitely need a new space <laughs> because we have outgrown the space that we're in. Um, in addition to you know having issues with the city that you know they're putting a lot of restrictions on what we can or cannot do um, yeah. on the site. I, I think for us, addressing food insecurity is not giving people food. You know, to me, it, it, it's it's not how you empower. Um, I, I believe in giving people tools to empower themselves. So teaching is the core of what you do. And giving people the, the everything they need to be able to do aquaponics on their own, either for themselves and their family or their community they choose to. That is the core of what we do. And you know, the city agency that owns a lot is like, I don't know, whatever. They, they, they want us to just sell food and call it a day. And that's not what we do. Um, so, it's kind of like lighting that fire. Like we need to move anyway because we need more space. Um, through COVID, we would have you know uh, school groups come forty at a time in that really small space. So having this bigger space um, to farm in is great. But what makes it even small, more special is that Weeksville Heritage Center is a historic black um, museum. You know, Weeksville um, historically was the, one of the first free black settlements in New York. Um, when people were fleeing the draft riots or even slavery in the South because New York um, abolished slavery before the other states did, um, yeah. folks came to Weeksville. So it was a free 
community. It wasn't an intentional community. People lived there and grew their own food and were sustainable and all these buzzwords that, that we use right now. You know, our ancestors did that right. um, in Weeksville. So to be able to bring that back um, to that space and to be able to demonstrate what resilience looks like, to be able to teach people how to, you know, grow food and take care of themselves and all these other little things that come with learning farming, you know? Um, once you start farming, you, you learn how to use a drill. You learn, you start to learn all these other life, essential life skills, you know? Um, that's really important. And we look forward to like bringing that, not just to the community, but also to the, the children specifically to start to get to them really early. You know, yeah, that's can, can you tell us about some of the challenges that you encountered as a woman of color building your farm? Um, I think that, okay, so there are a lot of things. The biggest one is funding and access to land. Um, there is a huge divide in New York City um, with actually who gets the farm. Like who gets the farm for a living and make that their full-time job, you know? Um, most. Um, farmers of color, especially women, work for nonprofits, right? Work for these huge institutional nonprofits. Um, and then white people get to like have land and live <laughs> off the land. Yeah and, get, yeah, and get money and millions right. of dollars to start farms. And for the rest of us, it, it's difficult. I don't, I think. I feel like I'm the only black woman in the city who like owns and operates her own farming um, organization. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I was like, this is rare in New York. This is not, this is something different. And I'm not, like, there's so many other people who would love the opportunity to do that, but there's so many roadblocks to getting access to land and so many roadblocks to um, getting access to funding. There are organizations that will train you with farming, but will you? What do you do after you train? Right. Where do you go? That. Where do you go? Yeah. Where do you go? Most people leave the city and go start farms upstate. upstate. We need yep. them right here. You know, yep. we need our communities to have access to good food. So I would say that that's one of the. That's like the major challenge is just not having the same access to to land and to growth. Uh, that other people have. That's probably the biggest challenge. I'm looking forward to, you know, several years down the road where there are so many um, young black people who are farming for a living mm -hmm. and are like really pushing the envelope where we're not, we're not, because we're black, we're talking about food security, you know? Can't wait till we're past that. Yeah. You know, where like farming and economic empowerment go hand in hand. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, food security, farming, and economic empowerment, those three things go hand in hand for us. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And that's I, the challenges. I and then the other one is people just assume that I have a some man that's my boss. Hell <laughs> no, nah, you going all solo. I would think that I would think that, that would appeal to the to the city though, because you have the education piece, the um addressing the food insecurity, the beautification also of the neighborhood, all things that's win-win for everybody. So I don't see why there would be bureaucracy or or, um, or red tape around it. I don't know what to tell you because a lot of these fancy farms that are also raising millions of dollars, they're indoors, right? Right. But, I, can see what but it's not addressing 
beautification. Mm -hmm. It's not addressing access. You know, it's not addressing climate change. You know, like we need the pollinators, we need biodiversity. Indeed, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like people need to see that. The more you see it, the more you're more inclined to want to get it. But when it's indoors, it, it's like it doesn't exist. You know what's crazy? In my little garden out front, I got so much stuff out. All the bees is around the neighborhood. They're like, yo, Rob, you done brought these bees. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we yes. need the pollinators, man. We, we need do. them. <laughs> this is great yeah. stuff, man. This is great stuff. Zay, you got anything, Zay? Of course. Uh, can you let us know uh, how are you using farming to teach uh, STEM? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the, the beautiful thing about aquaponics is that it incorporates biology, chemistry, um, even like vocabulary and technology, even learning to build an aquaponics system also incorporates technology. So it covers all that. When we, we do have school-based programming that we do in schools, where students get to build their own aquaponics system, they learn about fish and fish biology, they learn what an ecosystem is, they learn water chemistry. So they're learning things about pH and ammonia and nitrate. They're learning words like decompose, you know, like they're, they're, they're increasing their um, vocabulary. They're learning about microbiology. You know, I teach about bacteria to five-year-olds because they should know about <laughs> okay. bacteria. Right. So, and then getting them to actually build, you know, and to design and, and build a system with their own hands. So, like, it, it incorporates everything. Talk about building a little bit. What, what, what goes into a efficient aquaponic system okay so i always tell people you need two containers <laughs> at least mm -hmm. at least two containers at least two okay. one container for your fish and one container for your plants okay. and then you need your plumbing okay. irrigation right um and then you need a pump so right. the pump will move push water from the fish tank to your plant bed that's and right. then your irrigation was like the, the pathway through which that water is moving from your plant, um, from your fish tank to your plant bed and then back to your fish tank. Your so that's the basic design. Whether you want to put the fish tank on top and then the you know plant beds below or whatever, that's up to you. Whether you want to put them side by side, that's up to you. That's a basic concept is you need two containers and you need to move water from the container that, that um, holds the fish Right. To the container that holds the plant and then back again. Mm -hmm. All right. Then you can expand on that and have three, four, five, six, seven containers. It, it's up to, you. up to you. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people may not understand that coming, um, that sustaining a farm comes at a cost, though. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're. I think the question was what are the costs associated? with building and all that they entails with aquaponics. I'm sure that's what this question is. Yes. Uh, like, is it expensive? Um, it can be, again, depending on what your setup is. That's why I said when I do design, I really take um, budget into consideration. Right. So you can build something that costs $13 million, okay. or you can build something that costs $500, right? Okay. It, it depends on you can use recycled materials. When we built our farm, 
all of the lumber we used, we went to a recycling uh, a recycling yard and got lumber from there. Right. Um, we we got um, a lot of our media donated to us because we went around to people who were closing shop and right. you know asked for their materials. Right, right, right. Um, and you know we're on twenty five hundred square feet, so it's you know yeah, relatively yeah. yeah relatively big. So it cost us you know um, really about five thousand dollars. We yeah. also had free labor, which helped a lot. That's right. Um, I think what we paid the most for was the, the line of the pond liner. That was very expensive. Okay. Um, and then all the PVC plumbing and all of that from Home Depot. Right. Um, so it varies. It's doable. Think, it's doable. Yeah, it's very doable. If you're doing backyard, there are people who convert their swimming pools into aquaponic system, or use like old bathtubs. This, I got this land. I'm talking about. This got about to about to jump out there. Yeah. I got this you know. And 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 my concept in mind, like like I said, ten years ago when I started to learn about aquaponics and seeing, I said, Yo, wow, that means I can just grow cucumbers at home. And I was like, I can grow cucumbers. I can make cucumber juice. I was starting to think. Expand and I, and and when my wife and I got together, her being a chef, and I told her, I said, "Yo, babe, I can grow your, I can grow your vegetables. Everything you use in the kitchen, it come right out of, it come right out of the backyard." Yeah. And if you have the space, and the thing with aquaponics is, it does pay off because things do grow faster. Right. You know? Talk about that versus. Yeah, things do, things do grow faster for the most part because the plants have constant access to water and constant right. access to nutrients. You know, right. you do get less disease for the most part. So it's worth it. And then you also get fish on top of right. on top of your vegetables. So it's, yeah. That's a meal and a half, man. It's a beautiful meal. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it. And like I said, you can buy the most expensive materials on the market I'm really good to like going on YouTube and finding people who live in developing countries and looking at what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> rather than like, out. yeah, rather than because in in the U.S. they try to sell you on all these expensive kits. Right. Um, if you have the money, great. But if you are a little creative and a little resourceful, it doesn't take Lord. much. You need containers. Can it hold water? That's it, man. You need something that can hold water. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. mostly what it is. Yeah, you will see some people who um, convert their uh, bathtubs, old bathtubs, into fish tanks. Okay. So the old bathtub is like where the fish are, and then they'll have like a little container next to it or on top of it where the plants are growing. So you can be creative, you know. At at your at your at your site in Brooklyn, do y'all use any so any solar panels? No, not at the current site, but we're definitely planning to do it at um, Wigsville. Okay. Yeah. And just so you know, we also don't use a lot of electricity. We have 10,000 gallons of water maybe in our system. We have more water than we need um, just because we don't want to run out. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Um, exactly. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. there's like no water on the lot and it's one pump that moves all that water because we're taking advantage of gravity. Um, a number of things growing in that garden, man. You got so much going on. You got lemongrass, man. You got some African stuff too. You got others. Yeah, we do. How <laughs> blessed, you, yo! You, like a dream come true right now, man. <laughs> now, uh, Jimmy, can you can you tell us and the uh, listeners uh, 
how much more business did, did you get once you had got the media coverage from Fox 5, Fox 5 New York News and also when you had got the article uh, coverage in uh, Vogue and Wall Street Journal? No. I did no. not, nothing significant. Um, nothing significant. Okay. Yeah, the, the 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 people who support us are, believe it or not, it's it's um, educational institutions, it's other nonprofits um, in the community that are interested in like growing food for their people, um, researchers. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't really notice any. <laughs> big change from those from that coverage believe it or not and that's something i've noticed about news coverage um they're not reaching the talk they're not reaching the audience i mean it's nice to say that you've been covered in whatever Mm -hmm. but i really haven't noticed maybe if we're in oprah magazine (laughs) you don't know ideas original right now it's about it's about to go through the roof now That's a good segue, though, to, to talk a little bit about your GoFundMe campaign and how we can be of support and how our viewers can support also Oco Farms. Absolutely. Um, right now, we are we have a fundraising campaign going on. It's on GoFundMe, but you can go to our website um, to learn more. And our website is www.ocofarms.org. Right. Um, and it'll take you to our GoFundMe page. We're raising money to move the farm to expand the farm and to do more right more of education more of growing more of research more um um community engagements you know we do a lot of things it's not just like the farming and teaching um agriculture we teach people how to cook we do culinary classes we do preservation classes um we want people to come to the farm and relax and eat and you know me and Shaw coming. Me and yeah. Shaw. yeah, we were talking before you came on. We said we gotta, we gotta yeah, we Right. So we want to be able to do more of that. I kind of envision a place that's like the heart of the community, where people are coming to for food, for education, to relax. You know, the the space that we feel is so beautiful on market day. You know, farmers market day. We also want people to be doing yoga and to be, you know, exercising right. and stretching and have music playing. You know, just to be a place in the community where people can get get food, but also like nurture their their spirits. I love it. So I'm ready to sign up for the design class because I got a lot of yards. Okay. I need to know how to manage my yard right about now. Yeah, and and the. The sign up for that is coming up soon, so okay. I will definitely let you know when that comes up. It said it's a recording class. Is it just a recording? I don't. I don't. I don't no, this is not the one that's currently up. The one that's currently up is just people who want to get a recording. The one that's that um, we're going to uh, offer in October is in-depth design. So that's like a two-day class where we're really going to design for aquaponics. Yeah, I'm working with someone on, on the syllabus right now. No, um, you're not. Um, what I was saying before I uh, experienced the technical difficulties is I was saying that I'm sure it's a, a significant cost that comes with actually sustaining the farm also. In addition to the farming, there's an educational component of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the, you guys are receiving pushback because you're providing the educational component so the, the pushback really is that the, the city is saying that when they give you land, that piece of land, 
They don't want you to generate revenue off the land. And even if you're not for profit? Even if you're not for profit. Because you're not for profit, you don't make money. Not for you still profit. Have to, you still have to exist. You still have to. Yeah. There's overhead still. They, they, they have to approve your fundraising activities. Um, the only thing that you can do to generate um, revenue is selling produce. And while that's great, um, education is the core right. of what we do. And education also is, we provide it on a sliding scale. People are more than happy to pay. Mm-hmm. because they know that it sustains us and it allows the organization to exist. You know, we need to pay people, you know, we need to, we need to feed fish. We need to like, you know, just the day-to-day operations of, um, it, it costs money. It's um, a business, that's normal. Right, right. Wow. So yeah, even as a nonprofit, like you still need to ge- generate revenue. And right now, all the grants and stuff are drying up. Mm. You know, so that's another reality. We're all competing for the same grant every yeah. year. So it makes sense for you to have different sources of revenue. And the city is saying, as long as you're on these particular, that's what I'm saying. Like there's systematic things in place that prevent black and brown people we know where you're going from getting access to good food because the only way we can get land in the city to grow on to get land is is through green thumb or through these city agencies that have Mm -hmm. access to these blocks right and then when you get access to it they're telling you you can only do this must be volunteer based right even if you're a volunteer it still costs money to run it right you know what? It's, it's it's real funny that you that you brought that up about the lots because I was reading how it's over six hundred acres of lots that's not even being used in NYC. Exactly. Yeah. That is crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Remember, and if you know what an acre looks like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in this city that people think is so dense and so whatever, right. there's six hundred acres of lots sitting empty, not being put to good use. Why can't we be growing food on it and also be earning income at the same time? Right. You know, you want to address poverty? That's one way to address poverty. But do we really want to address poverty? That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, because there's nothing, there's no agricultural policy in place. There's, 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 there's no money in place to actually support people who are addressing poverty. They want to give you things you know, like give you, give you food, give you this, so you're constantly dependent on this. Exactly. Stuff. They don't want independent people. They want a dependent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and also, who, I mean, and this is probably bigger, a bigger discussion, but who knows with, you know, the, the supermarket chains and things like that, with vested interest they have, and you guys not having the land to actually cultivate or having a space as well. Who knows? You know, when- They're, prob- I- they're probably the gatekeepers themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's dangerous, you know. When I when I studied aquaponics, I went to Florida and I stayed with this organization there that's an anti-hunger organization. Mm-hmm. They kind of inspired my work because they are farmers, but their focus is on anti-hunger. And they go into the most remote places in the world to do aquaponics there. And they used to say that to me, they used to call me New York, and they'd be like, what happens? <laughs> They're like, what happens when like, that you can't, they can't get food into New York? What happens if there's some type of disaster that prevents food from coming into New York? How are people going to feed themselves? Where are people going to get food from? And we saw that with COVID. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there was like empty shelves in the supermarket where people couldn't get food. And that's real. Um, in the city, like most of the food we eat, over 90% of the food we eat comes from outside. Okay. What happens when the food can't get in for any reason? Yeah. How has the pandemic impacted the farm? Um, we're not able to do the, the programming that we usually do. So no tours, no farm-based workshops, the cooking classes, the uh, gatherings and all of that stuff we're not able to do. Um, but we are able to do the remote workshops. So I've been doing the workshops remotely. I've been filming cooking classes. We're gonna have a lot of that coming up more. And also gonna be providing um, you know, gardening workshops, you know, online as well, just on Instagram and social media, just to help people nice. through. Yeah, we'll be doing more of that over the winter because I have a little bit more time mm -hmm. uh, and focusing on how do you actually grow food in the winter as well. Um, yeah, like what does an indoor aquaponics system look like? How do you maintain it? We're gonna be doing all that. So, you know, we're kind of making, uh, what is the lemonade out of lemons? Where- There you go. Yeah. And I then we're- I saw a salad that you made with rice. How was that rice experience? Yeah. It's great. We grow rice every year now. Like, I'm actually expanding grains because, again, when we're talking about food security, you need to be growing things that feed your belly, that fill your belly. So, rice is hard though. Yeah, rice. So, this year we did rice again, we did sorghum, and we did millet. Um, so testing on grains that are not just easy to grow and also easy to process so that you can eat. Um, we're also experimenting with sweet potato. Um, I want people to kind of expand what they're growing, you know? Like for real, for real, you might, there might not be food for like any reason. We, we saw a little bit of that with COVID, but mm -hmm. it's an indication of what could be coming. I agree. Right. I agree. I mean, because even with people couldn't people couldn't get their fast food fixed with COVID either. People are struggling. They couldn't get. Man, this has been this has been a dream come true. Because I tell you, I've been talking about aquaponics for so so long, and now I'm sitting here with someone who pretty much we call people masters around here. You're a master aquaponics, and I'm going to use all your consultations because I have a lot of work to do. Okay. But it's my wife, man. So I appreciate the time, fellas. I you guys are anything left. Yeah, and we look forward to making a trip to the um to the Yeah, park. we look forward to having you, please. Absolutely. So, again, thank you, Yimmy from Oko Farms for joining us. When thank the video when, when we actually post this video, it's live now, but when it's formally posted in YouTube also, we'll make sure we put the GoFundMe link in the description as well for those that want to support the farm. Thank you so much. And if there's anything else we can do, please, please thank feel free you. to let us know. Okay, thank you. Just know that that's a, that your your money is going directly into the community. So we, we see it. We see it. Instagram, we see it on YouTube. We see it. You know, some episodes ago when we first started the podcast, we, you know, Rob and I, we did a, um, a whole episode talking about you know food insecurity and just what the current situation was in the country. Yeah, so this is something that's been on our radar, and one is something that you know we were like, this is a really good fit for for the discussions that we had. And thank you for making people aware that this is happening. You know, it's so it's important for us to be talking about it because. There's also shame around it where people are experiencing it, but they don't 
talk. So if you hear people talking about it, especially people who look like you, it takes the shame a little bit. And yeah. and the more of us are raising awareness and talking and trying to find solutions to this, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we we were talking earlier also, and you was, we were talking about like the awareness piece of it is part of it. I think is also us being proactive. Many times we don't change our lifestyle and engage in healthy eating until we have some sort of health issues. Right. So you know, with the education and awareness, hopefully we can prevent. Right. Where, you know, with people right. prevent diabetes, you can turn all that stuff around. Mm -hmm. Change your palate, change how you eat, you change how you feel about yourself too. Yeah. Your, your thoughts are the, are the most toxic things that's going through your body. So if your thinking ain't right, you're not going to eat right. But I tell you, man, you start to live right, you start to get your energy back. People are like, yo, that apple was good. <laughs> yeah. Cucumbers is all right. I like yeah. cucumbers now, you know what I'm saying? And, and there's a difference between a good apple that you get when you grow it or from a right. some of the stuff that in our neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing is like, I, you know, you buy apples from the neighborhood and it's like rotten or it doesn't exactly. taste good. It out for a while, man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so you true. need to get more good food in our neighborhood. Yeah, clean food. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want, you know, I don't want to hold you up. I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I do want you. to say this also. I just think about, you know, how many kids we have in the inner city that they go on trips to farms and they always got to go upstate. To go to the farm, right? Exactly. Community, the opportunity for us to have this in our community. This is this is something that's just, it's important. Yeah. And, and when teenagers come to the farm, they always say, "Miss Yemi, can I do this? Right. How can I do this for a living?" And mm -hmm. I want to be able to tell them, "Yes, absolutely, you do it. exactly." And you should be doing it. Exactly. So, again, thank you for coming on. Have a good evening, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.